listening to the Astral Hour. I'm your host, Astral Meadow. Join me as we take a glimpse into the mysterious. Welcome everyone. Today I'm joined with my friend Amanda Lynch. She is a wellness coach, yoga instructor, mother of two boys, and lead teacher at Guiding Lights Hybrid Homeschool. Through her spiritual path and studies in Ayurveda, astrology, yogic philosophy, and Waldorf education, she has seen a great transformation in her life and ultimately in her reality. She believes that her sankalpa, or deepest heart intention, is to be a conduit of alchemy, guiding and inspiring others to rediscover their divine nature. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I love having you. I'm so excited to do this episode with you. Um, so for those who don't know you, could you give a little background on yourself and your spiritual journey? Sure. So um, as you stated, I'm a, I'm a mama of two boys, um, a yoga instructor and an Ayurvedic health coach. Um, but all of that is rather recent for me, um, other than being a mom, of course. Mm-hmm. So my spiritual journey has been quite the path. Um, I was raised pretty much here in, in East Tennessee um, as a little girl and in a Pentecostal type of church. So uh, very filled with the spirit and, mm-hmm. you know, Holy Ghost, seeing it move throughout the church. And that was just how I was raised. So to me, that was normal. Um, right. And then it probably wasn't until about fifth grade or so that I had uh, invited a a friend who was raised very Baptist uh, to church with me that I found out that that was not very normal in the, <laughs> um, for for the uh, most of the people that are Christians in this area. Right. Um, so I think all, all, automatically when I was little, I was already kind of immersed in a more spiritual, um, almost metaphysical type of side of Christianity, um, which already kind of made me a little more fringe um, yeah. <laughs> to those that, around me. And that's just kind of been my journey. Um, so being raised that way, um, I really resonated with it when I was little. Um, but what I resonated most with was the, uh, worship and the getting filled with the spirit type of thing. And then, you know, when the preacher would be preaching, I was like coloring and coloring books and not really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and I'm listening, you know, wanting more, more meat out of it, really wanting to hear what's in the Bible and, uh, know more about Jesus. Um, you know, it just kind of wasn't feeding me anymore. Um, and then, you know, having lots of childhood trauma also playing in as a factor, um, I kind of started moving away and really honestly started dabbling in lots of things that took me away from a spiritual path of Christianity and more so um, into just finding my own my own way. Um, which I dove heavily into the occult um, at that point, and I just gobbled up every book I could find. I mean, astrology, I, I wanted to know my whole natal chart, you know, just I cast my own chart, I've learned from a book, um, you know, back then, I guess we had the internet, of course, but it wasn't the same as it is now, and it definitely wasn't as popular. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just dove into that and just really started this self-study um, through all of that as well, and 
you know, totally at that point actually renounced um, Jesus Christ as like my Lord and Savior and um, just went through a whole transformation. Mm -hmm. And I actually got into a point where it was more of like, I was almost living for debauchery, um, if that makes sense. So it was like I wanted to see how bad I could get. How mm-hmm. deep could I go? Uh, what could I do that was just going to shock the pants off of everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just really dove really deep into that. And that didn't really work out too well for me either, <laughs> um, which it doesn't really work out for anyone. Um, not a sustainable path. So I finally realized like, oh, you know, something's not right here either. So, mm-hmm. you know, I started getting fed spiritually with a lot of things I was reading, but I didn't know how to deal with all of that, you know, and all the trauma that I had as a child and um, still trying to work through all of that. Um, and, you know, I wasn't even 25 yet. So prefrontal cortex, not even fully developed. Um, so then I finally came to this realization point of like, wow, I'm really being a crappy person to people in my life and losing friends and having some strained relationships with family and not able to carry out romantic relationships too well. Um, so then I was like, you know, something's, something's got to give. So I finally realized it was more of the, the party lifestyle and the, you know, that type of thing that I needed to shut out. And Mm -hmm. so I was continuing to read my, um, more pagan or esoteric type of books. I remember this very vividly. I was reading a book called Earth Time, Moon Time, which is all about the wheel of the year and the moon cycles. Um, And, you know, I've shut out the people that I'm partying with. So I really had a lot of free time at this point. And Mm -hmm. my grandma, I lived with my grandmother and she still went to that little Pentecostal church that I was raised in. And she was just like, you know, will you please come to church with me, honey? I'm like, all right, nanny, I'll go to church with you. (laughs) And so I'm going to church and it's still the same pastor that, you know, preached hellfire and brimstone when I was little. Um, and I'm listening to his messages and he's saying things that I'm reading in my earth time, moon time book. Like they're touching on similar topics and I just keep seeing like these synchronicities. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm hearing it here and I'm reading things here and I'm seeing also symbols around me of like things just keep making me feel like I'm being pulled more towards this path. And so I keep going to church with her. And one Sunday, I just get this urge. It's like, I need to be saved again. I'm like, I don't know why I'm feeling this. Like, that's so against anything that I've like been feeling for a long time. Um, But it was just this really powerful urge. And so I just looked over at my nanny. I'm like, I think I need to be saved. And of course she's, you know, very emotional and she's like, okay. And we go up to the altar and I, you know, I'm sitting down this little tiny church, like these people that most of them are my family and they know, um, the journey I've been on. And, um, I look at my nanny and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, you just pray to Jesus, honey. You just, you just tell Jesus what's on your heart. Okay. So, you know, again, it's like, I'm just, I, I try to like go into like almost a meditation at that point and just go really internal. And it's like, as soon as I said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I was rushed with this vision of Jesus. And he says to me, you thought you were away from me. I was there right behind you the whole time. I never left. I was just waiting on you to see me. And I lost it. Mm-hmm. And I had this feeling come over me where I just put my hands up 
And I started screaming at the top of my lungs and I could feel things leaving my body. I don't know Mm -hmm. what, um, I don't like to call it demonic. Um, it's just, there was just some strongholds that maybe trauma, um, also was part of that. That was just releasing out and I was shaking and just screaming and then finally started coming down and you know everything just started coming back in the room and I'm looking around seeing all these (laughs) big eyes um but of course everyone's also very happy Mm -hmm. um and I go and sit down and it just so happened there was an evangelical preacher there that Sunday he was visiting and very very country man and he gets up and he says honey I ain't seen something like that in a church in a long time. And <laughs> That's great. I'm just like, I know, <laughs> like, I don't know what just happened, but that was wild. Um, and so then I, you know, really became very on fire for, for Jesus. You know, was, I wanted to know everything I could about Jesus and mm-hmm. just really wanted to dig into all of that and what, what being a disciple meant and um just really reading the Bible and trying to understand it with new eyes and with my own perspective, you know, not this dogmatic thing. Um, I had this new perspective where I've learned all these truths from all these other religions Mm -hmm. and I've been practicing all these other things that still feel like home to me, but yet I am turning back to Jesus. So it's like almost a, a pendulum swing back but not too far. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did kind of, you know, put away my esoteric books. I got rid of my tarot cards um, for a bit. I, you know, just put all that away for a bit and really dove into biblical um, studies and going to church and and things of that nature. Um, And then I had a child and then my whole spiritual journey totally changed when I became a mom. You know, it was really learning a lot more about being a mother than anything else. So, um, since that I've, the pendulum has started swinging back a little more towards the middle, you know, and I've, mm-hmm. um, yoga, Ayurveda, I mean, all, all of the same things that I've always been drawn to, um, are still very much part of my life, my path. And I've really found a way to integrate both things and come to my own path and my own understanding that, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable for people on one side or the other to mm-hmm. hear because we're so used to these things not being able to exist together. And I really feel like I'm being called to kind of show people there is a way for, for this to be, you know, a coexisting thing where we can have people that agree to disagree about things and still meet in the middle about things too. Right. I really love how you're basically like a bridge between these two worlds and it's so beautiful. And I've been so drawn to you because, you know, I work with, Jesus all the time. He's one of the Ascended Masters. Um, that's in the records a lot. And so I I never lost the connection mm-hmm. to Jesus, even though I don't label myself as a Christian any longer, because I like to be more open. Yeah. Um, but I love that you are able to create this bridge and you're like, you can be both. You know, we don't have to, you know, exclude the other. So what if we allowed... All of it, you know, and even when you're like, you're studying the occult stuff and now you hear the preacher that was already creating this bridge because you're seeing, okay, there's like, these are corresponding truths. So we're just like, I might've not been seeing it that way. So it's almost like when you studied the esoteric, it gave you a deeper appreciation, Yeah, um, which is so beautiful. Um, So I love that story. 
And um, I think a lot of people are on that, you know, it's like a spectrum of back and forth. And, and when even when we're studying astrology, you know, we have opposing houses and we yeah. tend to go to this one or the next. And, and um, but at the end of the day, it really is like that fulcrum in the middle. That's like the sweet spot is like that place between these extremes. And, uh, and I think Jesus really was an advocate of the middle path. He had a lot of that Buddha vibe about him. And um, I think that he would be supportive of, you know, you saying, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm also accepting of these other faiths. And I actually see beauty and wisdom there. Yeah. Um, I think he would be all for that. So that's really beautiful because I think it's, we don't see a lot of Christians coming out saying, you know, it's okay that you're different from me. Like, I don't have to convert you to love you. Right. And I don't, you know, I think that that's how Jesus would have been. I think he would have loved the Buddhist. You yeah. know, I don't think he'd been like, well, sorry if you don't follow me. I think he would have been, he would have honored their path and yeah. been able to see, okay, well, there's a lot of similarities. So I feel like you're being very Christ-like in your approach. And oh, that's so, you. it's so beautiful to witness that because I don't think a lot of us have a healthy example of someone who truly is just open-minded and loving. Yeah. And that's like kind of the whole point yes. in all the spiritual paths. Yeah. You know, can we bridge these gaps? Can we love one another? Can we see the beauty in our different beliefs? Yeah. Just the fact that you're even open, you know, to being on a metaphysical podcast, like that shows that there there is an opportunity within the faith for yeah. growth in that way. And I love listening to the podcast, so I love yeah. all, all the topics. So. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> I love hearing that. Um. So let's talk a little bit about Ayurveda. Um, what is it and how has incorporating this approach to wellness benefited you over time? So Ayurveda is um, kind of known as a sister science to yoga. Um, obviously, it comes from the name uh, Ayurveda. So it is the study of life where um, it's really been transformative for me in my yoga journey because for me, um I started doing yoga when I was like, you know, probably 15, 16. I was on the dance team in high school. So it was like kind of like part of our fitness training was doing some yoga and stretching. And um, I'm kind of hypermobile and always have been throughout my life. So like it just felt like really good. But it was very fitness. So it's like a VHS tape, you know, like yeah. I, I can't remember the girl's name. Uh, but, you know, like wearing Denise like, Austin. Yes, Denise Austin. It was. I had the same problem. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's where my yoga journey yeah, I got my tape at a Goodwill. Um, I don't even know where. Uh, probably thrift store, probably, or a yard sale. Um, <laughs> but I would just, you know, use my little tape, and it was, it was very, um, very physical. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, my yoga practice grew um, a bit. I really loved uh, Yoga with Adrienne on YouTube. She was, like, one of my favorites. Um, I think I remember her. And she, would, she does talk, you know, she starts getting a little more deep with a lot of her... Um, cueing and she talks a lot um, throughout her practicing so it's starting to get a little deeper for me Um, but then when I stumbled across Ayurveda um, it was actually I randomly saw something from Katie Silcox um, and she is an author and she actually is the creator of the Ayurveda school I went to Um, it just popped up on Instagram and I'm like oh that sounds interesting so I listened to her first little freebie talk on it and it just felt like oh yeah, this is really, really where I'm being called. Um, Now I had like read a couple books before on Ayurveda. It was very medical, very Mm -hmm. masculine approach. And she takes a very feminine form approach to Ayurveda. Um, So that might be why it like more resonated with me at that point. Um, But it, 
showed me how my physical practice is my spiritual practice. They're Mm -hmm. all integrated. It's the study of life. So it's, you know, it's not just doing the yoga asanas. It's what are we eating and putting into our bodies? Oh, what season is it? Um, How do we feel right now in this season? And really even tuning your yoga practice to fit what's going on with you and your body right here, right now. And so that just totally opened a whole new layer for me that just blew my mind. Um, And I just wanted to really dive deep into it um, after that. And then learning my dosha constitution. Um, So, you know, dabbled in my birth chart. I knew a lot of that. Um, I read a little bit about human design. But then digging into my Ayurvedic constitution through a whole new thing that I could discover about myself. Um, So your doshic constitution, we have three major players um, in Ayurveda, kapha, pitta, and vata. So kapha is like that wet, juicy, earthy, grounded energy. Pitta is your fire, your transformative fire. Um, And then vata is the air. So you can see how a lot of people have all, I mean, we have all three, just Mm -hmm. like our birth chart has all of the signs of the zodiac um, in one house or another. Um, Our doshic constitution, we have all three, but we just have more dominant players, some of us. Now, some people are tridoshic when they have all three, and um, they're actually more likely to become out of balance because they have so much energy at play. Um, But really finding out that, like, I myself am a pitta dominant person. Oh, that fire, that transformation. I'm a very fiery person and mm-hmm. I tend to burn myself out. And in summertime, oh, this would explain why I have summer eczema, not winter eczema. Mm. Why in the summer I can get very inflamed, my joints swell up because I'm already pitta dominant. So learning about that, it's like, oh, well, I shouldn't be doing tons of power yoga in the summer if I'm already going to burn myself out and be Mm. inflamed I actually need to bring in more softness more slowness and you know maybe do some more qigong so it kind of added this whole new way of seeing how to live my life in all aspects how I eat how I drink what I uh, even what I wear (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like I mean just everything it just added this whole new lens for me and it really transformed my life in that you know, I finally realized, oh, I pushed myself too much. So as a mom, I was constantly feeling fatigued um, because I'm always drained, because I'm always wanting to get up and do everything. And I don't have the spoons to keep it all going, you know. So it's like giving myself a little more compassion saying, oh, you're feeling really burnt out. Your pitta is really high right now. What can you do to bring that down and be softer and move slower and really make decisions and be a better mom and a better wife and a better friend to everybody because you're actually trying to fine tune things for yourself. Right, right. I've been told that I was Pitta dominant as well. And it's interesting because I think we try to compare ourselves to other people, but some people are like strength training and they're pushing and they're and and like when I try to do that, like I am just so I can't do anything else. So like treadmilly, like all the cardio stuff. I'm not saying cardio is bad, but it was, it wasn't feeling right for me. Yeah. You know, but like when I would do yin or like restorative yoga, um, I really liked yin yang, like this balance. I felt like I had energy at the end of the class, but no one really taught me um, about this. It was something I just sort of was like feeling and I'm like, I just don't. No, like the, I don't want to do hot yoga at all. Like heat actually makes me like 
really anxious and I'll start like getting blotchy and I'll actually have like a histamine response sometimes when I get overheated. Same. (laughs) But like I kept trying to compare myself to other people I think and I was like but they're doing it and like they look great and they're healthy but I love that it it is a little bit more individual and it's like don't compare yourself to other people how are you feeling yeah you know um and it's so cool that there's people like you out here that can look at our, our charts or, or just study our our energy and, like, what we're drawn to and say, okay, well, this is why. It's because it's a hot season. Like, maybe yeah. that would be fine in the winter for you. Yeah. But right now, it's a no, you yeah. know. So that's interesting that we have a similar constitution. I'm also Aries sun and Mercury, so I have a little bit of fire. And um, I tend to have, like heartburn or like I just get hot sometimes and um like I want to cool down and that just doesn't feel good at all for me so that's yeah that's interesting um do you have any tips for balancing our dosha during the different seasons for like the different types so what I would say is um if you even if you don't know your dosha constitution our whole society is kind of in a vata burnout right now. So mm. think about like we are in, uh, we're on the internet all day. We have this like global connection that is totally new, you know. Um, so our, and our society is very fast paced. It wants to move, and, you know, next idea, next big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, there's some pitta element there, you know, especially in a capitalist society. Right. There's a lot of the production-driven pitta energy, but lots of vata burnout. And I feel like that's why we see a lot of people right now reaching for everything that soothes the nervous system yeah. and really getting into like vagus nerve toning and, um, you know, even the cold therapy, which right. is going to help get you in that rest and digest mode, um, is that would be the first thing that I would treat for anyone really is let's look at Vata Mm -hmm. and how can we ground, like let's be more grounded, just practice every day to ground yourself, whether it's first thing waking up in the morning and just taking that minute to sit and just really feel grounded and settled before moving on with your day. Um, And another thing that I tell everyone, and this doesn't matter your dosha constitution is when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you're drinking? Because if it's not warm lemon water, you're probably going ahead and setting yourself in a, in a wrong direction for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, because that has been life-changing for me and also other people that I've worked with um, is just taking that that first bit of the day to first, I scrape my tongue, get all mm-hmm. the toxins off my tongue. Um, and then I drink my warm lemon water. It's just, it almost like regulates my blood pressure. Um and my, I just feel so much better throughout the day. And I just, I noticed that uh, to begin with, like that was one of the first Ayurvedic practices I took on was the tongue scraping and then warm lemon water. And it totally changed because I used to wake up and first thing was coffee. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm throwing caffeine on someone who's already burnt out all the time. Right. And my adrenals are just shot all the time. So it was like taking that time to say, no, I don't need to caffeinate first thing in the morning. What I need to do is sit and feel warm and cozy and give myself a minute to feel grounded and nourished before I move on into anything else. Um, And I think that's been one of the most key things for quite a few people um, that I've worked with as well. And then just looking at the season. So like we are in Pitta season right now because it's summertime. So um, you can think of the same 
doshic types as seasons. So summertime is that pitta energy. And when we start moving into early fall, when it starts to be kind of uh, dry, everything's starting to dry out and leaves are changing, that's we're moving into vata. Mm -hmm. So we're coming out of summer right now. Um, and moving into Vata season. So that's also going to benefit, um, you know, whatever doshic constitution you have is uh, really paying attention to Vata. And like another practice that I really love, especially once it starts turning, our, our weather starts turning here, um, is a daily abhyanga or oil massage. Um, even if you can't do like a full lymphatic massage, just putting oil on every day just to help nourish and coat the body mm -hmm. um, is another really great practice. So in Vata season, would we want to be even more grounded because it's naturally going to be more airy? Yes. So like, you know, walking on the earth barefoot more often. Or yeah. Is there like teas? Um, yes, you that could one? do, but you really want to try to avoid stimulants, okay. uh, caffeines and because things like airy, that. Because that's airy, naturally airy. Yeah. And very mobile. Um, you know, so you really want to, you want to incorporate lots of oils. So even like in your tea or coffee, adding some fats to that, okay. um, incorporating more oily foods, um, and things that are, you know, not unhealthy oily of course because that would be inflammatory right. um but like good things like ghee or you know a good quality olive oil um something that's very nourishing and grounding um so applying oil to the body as well as intaking more oils and fats and good fats and things like that which i mean our if we look back at when we lived off of the land we did that you know it was this was harvest season so we're harvesting um we're getting everything and then what do we have in harvest season we have big festivals where we eat and we take in soups you know lots of soups and things that are easier to digest um that's that's another big thing for vata season as well as you know making sure that when you're eating it's things that you can easily digest because in vata we're we tend to have more constipation, mm. gas, um, you know, it's just a harder, harder for the body to digest. So really having foods that are more broken down, like a soup, um, bone broth, stuff like that is a lot more beneficial. Um, you know, we kind of, we also equate like cold weather with, uh, you know, a lot of times we want to have peppermint in the, in the winter time, but that's also, it's like, okay, uh, understand why we like the you know, it, with association with winter and the coldness, um, but we actually need to be countering that um, mm. and doing more of the warming things in the winter and the fall time. So, you know, your cinnamon, your cardamom, um, lots of turmeric, ginger, you know, all those good pungent spices and really spicing the food as well. Mm, like the golden milk teas. Oh, yes. Like I started like smelling that as you were describing. <laughs> yes, that'd be a really great Vata nighttime ritual. Yeah. Some golden milk. Mm, lovely lovely um so what is an ayurvedic health coaching session with you like um what are some of the ways that you've been able to help people so what i've tried to do is really incorporate um western astrology and ayurvedic health coaching um and my yoga training as well um to where we take an initial assessment and just see, okay, what is your doshic constitution? What type of health issues are you having right now? And by health, you know, mental, physical, emotional, all the layers, all the koshas. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to look at the whole being and really get a good assessment first for, you know, where, where are you right now in your constitution and also um, an imbalance. So 
one thing I did forget to mention earlier is with Ayurveda, we have a constitution, so I'm a Pitta dominant person. Um, but just like we have a natal chart in astrology, and then we have a daily horoscope, well, we could be out of balance in any kind of way. So mm-hmm. I can be a Pitta dominant person, but in Vata imbalance. Um, so it really doesn't matter what constitution I have. I could experience any imbalance, right. you know, Kapha, Vata, or Pitta. I'm just more predisposed to Pitta burnout. Um, but I can experience a Vata imbalance. Right, like if you were studying for like a final and spending like weeks yes. cramming information, that might be too much air. Yes. Um, and even people who, who are a little more Vata sensitive, uh, lots of travel um, mm. can also turn you push you into Vata burnout as well. Okay. Lots of moving, you know, moving energy. Um, so it's really interesting how you can, you know, kind of tweak your care based on not just my dosha constitution, but also what am I experiencing right now? And you can just constantly assess, Mm -hmm. you know, how am I feeling today? Do I feel like I'm very high pitta right now? I've got a lot of anger outbursts coming out. Or are you feeling very coughing, kind of lethargic and stuck and depressed? You know, it's really looking at how do I feel right here, right now? And what can I do to, um, to benefit, you know, myself? Um, so we look at, when I work with someone, we look at the dosha constitution, current imbalances, um, and then also <clears throat> what's going on seasonally. So it being pitta season, what can we do to really align ourselves with the season? Mm-hmm. How can our lifestyle practices um, align with the season? So, you know, we want to take care of imbalances. We want to know our dosha constitution, but ultimately we want to live in harmony with everything around us. You know, so it's also looking at that seasonal aspect as well. Um, And then I like to, like I said, I use Western astrology. So I'll give my clients, you know, our current transits that are coming up or new moon or full moon, whatever is going on. uh, We incorporate that into our coaching sessions. So I can say, you know, okay, so we're going to work on this practice. And maybe here's a full moon ritual you could do to incorporate in your Ayurvedic uh, journey. So it's kind of a mesh of wheel of the year journey and Ayurveda and astrology. (laughs) I love that. I love how you're just combining it all together. That's really cool. So we just had Aquarius full moon. Would that have increased the Vata for everyone collectively a little bit? Yeah, I would feel um, so because being an air sign um, and a very movable, you mm-hmm. know, type of energy. Um, and, you know, it's really funny that we've had a lot of this um, disclosure stuff happening yeah. <laughs> around this time. Um, so I feel like collectively we are we're already kind of feeling that big Vata mm-hmm. um, that's coming, that big push, even seasonally that we're about to see too. Right, right. That's very interesting. Um, so let's explore a little bit about the Kundalini Yoga. Um, what is it? And what are some of the different benefits that come with incorporating these types of practices into our daily lives? So with Kundalini Yoga, um, that was also a big, uh, big transformation for me. Um I had heard of kundalini yoga many times, you know, just dabbling in yoga and and doing, I really did a lot of vinyasa practice um, and I'd heard of it and then I would look it up and I'd see people like all wearing these white turbans and, Mm -hmm. you know, it just, it looked really weird. And um, (laughs) they're talking about a snake rising up your, oh my goodness, (laughs) there's a snake, you know? And uh, so it kind of felt a little, even for me, a little fringe, you know, and then, but I still kept feeling like this little call, like, 
check into Kundalini, like check it out. Um, and it just so happened that my best friend, um, who wasn't my best friend at the time, she started posting about Kundalini yoga. And so I was like, Oh, well, I'm, I think I'm ready to kind of learn about this. So, um, she led me to, uh, download an app that had uh guru muck um doing some videos on there and you know here's this like 80 year old woman leading this yoga class and kicking my butt i Mm -hmm. mean Mm -hmm. i'm holding my arms up in the air like for you know (laughs) however many minutes like shaking and like feeling i hear people say all the time they have emotional releases in their hips mine for some reason is shoulders Mm, um and i it you know, started equating it to like wearing the weight of the world on your shoulders. Right, right, exactly. um, Especially with trauma. Yes. So I I felt like, you know, oh, wow, this is so different. Um, And kind of like with Ayurveda, it was so different where it's way more spiritual, Mm -hmm. Um, where, you know, most of the yoga channels I was watching on YouTube at that time were uh, very, you know, they were kind of dabbling in things, but it wasn't ever talking about God, you know? Right. They're not uh, upfront about yes. why we're doing the practices besides this is healthy. Yes. Um, whereas Kundalini Yoga is like, this is a very specific Kriya for this very specific purpose. And we're connecting with God and we are raising energy through, you know, the chakras all the way up. And um, it just felt so meaningful. And even doing the practices where you will raise the energy and then stop and let it set in the awareness phase that was so key for me because just like you said, um, I think we were talking earlier about being pitta dominant and, you know, like cardio doesn't feel good for me. It's just too, it's too much. It's too mm-hmm. exhausting. Um, you know, even like power yoga, I will kind of burn myself out because I want to perform so much. Right. And I will, I will want to go to the nth degree, you know. Yes. <laughs> um, um, Kundalini makes me stop. Right. It raises you up and then you stop and you let it sit. And I need that. I need that pause. Mm. That take a minute. Let it rest um, because I have such a hard time stopping and resting. And right. like yin yoga is very hard for me as well because I it's so slow um, right. and I'm not pushing. So it's like Kundalini has been that middle path, mm-hmm. you know, of like we're going to push and it's going to be hard, but it's also going to be resting in this ease and feeling like this real spiritual experience. Um, and so much so that when I had taken on my Ayurvedic training, um, I already knew I was committed to that. I'd paid for that uh, year-long program. Um, I started dabbling in the Kundalini Yoga, and I had no intentions of being a yoga teacher whatsoever. Um, and then it just the kundalini journey just kept growing alongside the ayurveda journey and i'm like yeah it's time to time to become a yoga teacher as well so i actually started taking yoga teacher training at the same time as doing ayurveda school um and finished both of them around the same time um and it's just been a a total transformation i mean it took my yoga and my ayurveda practice and really brought them together into one um and where I am not a morning person. I'll just say that to anyone that knows me. Uh, maybe it's my Taurus rising, my Pisces moon, a combination. Um, I have never been a morning person because I've always been fatigued and right. <laughs> worn out. Um, but it has like made me want this. Oh, I want to get my circadian rhythm. And mm-hmm. I want to get. I want to get up with the sun. I want to, you know, get up and start feeling. Um, I want to do my spiritual practice before the sun's really rising, and then before my kids are waking up. That right. way, I've I've filled my cup before they are waking up. 
Um, and it really has transformed me as a person. Um, it's so funny. I have a picture that I've still yet to share on social media because I don't know if it's <laughs> going to come off as too vain. And I'm trying to think of how to word it. Um, but I recently had to have my license remade when I got married and I got to keep my old license and I looked at the pictures and I put them together and the change in my face, just mm. my face is insane. Now my, my older picture, I had just had my son, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so new mom, you know, and I, I wasn't wearing much makeup and you, know, you can just see, you can see on her face that she is drained, that right. there is just so much life force that's just being sucked out and not filled back in Mm -hmm. and then in my newest picture you can see a glow it's just an a glow um and it's not just my highlighter which is really a bomb (laughs) (laughs) um it's you know just my face even just the smile is more genuine um and it's honestly I equate it to all of these practices that I have learned because I so needed them as a mom. Um, right. And that's why I feel so called to uh, really share this with mothers um, mm. and, and women in general. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm open to working with men. I love men. I love the balance of both. Um, and I feel like men really do need, really do need this um, because we as women just seem to be a little more intuitive with our bodies because we have to be. Right. We have a monthly cycle, whereas men don't. Right. And just um, in like that the way. process of giving birth and things like that, kind of yes. you kind of have to lean in on your own. Yeah, trust your body a little bit more. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely uh, definitely love to work with all all genders, everyone. But uh, but really, I feel this is so beneficial for moms and women because we feel so drained and mm-hmm. we're not taking the time to really care for ourselves. Um, and you know we can say self-care, self-care, and you can go get a pedicure and you can go get all the, you know, massage and that's great. But when you're not integrating that spiritual aspect, I feel like there's still something so missing that we need to find that integration of the physical and the spiritual, the, all the koshas, all the bodies, right? right? All coming together and even looking at okay, what's going on in the world around me? Like mm-hmm. how, environment. yes, how is that also affecting me right now? And I feel like that through my journey of Kundalini yoga and Ayurveda, it's, it's just brought me to this path of finding something that really works, um, for, for me because it's so personable. Right. Right. So it's, it's lots of practices. I mean, there's thousands of Kriyas you could do in Kundalini right. yoga. Um, I mean, there's a Kriya for keeping up with your children. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just, you can find all kinds of practices specifically for something. And it's like, you could take a, an 11 minute practice and get the same type of workout or energy, um, whatever you want to call it, than like taking an hour and a half long yoga class. Right. Um, for me personally, anyway, I've experienced that. And I know a lot of people that have done kundalini yoga, um, have also experienced that as well. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely energizing. I feel like it's affecting you even at the, like the etheric, the aura, yes. you know, where the asanas are very physical, but like you said, it's like all the koshas are a part of it. And, um, all the different bodies. Like I know with Cornelio, it's like the 10 bodies yes. and all these levels. It, it's even more than the coaches. <laughs> it actually gets a little confusing. I feel like um, you almost need to take notes sometimes. But yes. that's the one thing I I really love about Cornelio Yoga. Um, it's funny that you said it's good for moms because like 
I started doing it when my son was six months old. That's when I just discovered it. And I, I, I always like tell people this. I got so high from this class that I left <laughs> my abusive ex the same day. I literally left this class. He started yelling and cussing me because I was like 20 minutes late. And I was like, okay. And I, I like went home and um, packed my stuff and told him, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Because I awesome. finally, I finally felt like all this energy. I knew what it was like to have that vitality again. And I had kind of lost that you know, giving birth, not really having the support. And then I go to this class. It's, it was my first time away from my child. Wow. And um, it was it was really transformative. And I just felt so wonderful. <laughs> uh, and then I left him and then I kept going. So for two years, I went to every single class and it became a really big part of like my identity in a way. Um, and I just, I did all the things and I still do a lot of it. I don't go to class as much just because... Now I have two kids <laughs> and uh, my teacher always tells me I can bring them, but I'm like, uh, people meditating, you know, yeah. <laughs> my kids aren't going to sit still. But um, yeah, it was, it was transformative for me and not just in um, a health kind of way, but n- nurtured my spirit and really helped. I felt like reconnect me to my higher self. Yeah. It helped me connect to my past lives even. I started, you know, having, you know, like very vivid dreams and, you know, I'd be doing these like meditation, you know, like moving my hands in front of my eyes and I would start seeing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be meditating with a partner and I would see them morph into other versions of themselves. That's and it, awesome. it became, it was like such a magical thing that I'm like, we're not just sitting in the park, like panting, you know, <laughs> like, but it, I would always like kind of laugh because we would always do it outside and like there'd be the joggers like what the heck as we're like got our legs spread wide with our tongue out. <laughs> but um, I mean, I've had so many mystical experiences with that. Like I, I, I probably like couldn't even re- recall them yeah. because it was like every single class I would have a, like a, a new wave of understanding. But something I didn't realize because before Kundalini Yoga, I just done like you with the VHS tapes and things is that other yoga classes don't like have this group energy where we, we would all, I would bring a tea. I would even bring glass teacups. Okay. Like, like everyone (laughs) had their teacup. We would drink tea and it was donation based. So you bring fruit or, you know, nuts or whatever. And at the end we would just sit for like an hour and just drink tea and talk. And we would talk about like health and wellness and what's going on in the world Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, all the things that you said. But then, you know, later on, I started trying to go to just random yoga classes. And I was like, well, the class would end and I didn't feel connected to the teacher really. And I I got kind of sad. I was like, this isn't, this doesn't feel like a community. Yeah. This doesn't feel like, like we're lifting each other up. I don't even know this person's name next to me. You know what I mean? And I, it made me appreciate the closeness of my Kundalini yoga class. Cause there was like three or four of us, there'd be a random person that would come and go sometimes. Um, but you know, we could really support each other cause we knew each other's journey. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't weird. We'd be like, Oh, I just had this visualization. You know, <laughs> everyone gets it. They're not like, okay, someone smoked a little herb before they came to class. <laughs> I feel like it's if I went to another yoga class and was like wanting to talk after people would be like, okay, this girl, you know, so I don't know. I really loved the focus on all of the aspects of the self and not just the physical. Yes. So as much as I think that that's good, like if that's where you're at and your physical body is like wrecked and you need that practice, that's great. But 
I think kundalini yoga, my yoga teacher really gets like taking the jet plane up the mountain versus, you know, walking. He's like, you could take a car, you could ride a donkey, you could Mm -hmm. walk, you could sit and camp for a little bit. It doesn't matter. But kundalini yoga will take you there fast. And and like at the time, I didn't think about it, but it really is, you know, Um, it's super advanced. Um, And he would always tell me that um, that not just everyone gets to do it and that if you feel called to, it's a past life thing. Um, or it was something that you had set in motion before you incarnated. So it's actually like a gift to be able to do it. Wow. Um, so that's why like sometimes you'll try to tell people about it and they can't hear you. And <laughs> yeah. it's actually because it's not supposed to be for them. It's a very advanced form. Yeah. And so that made me feel so, you know, like good in a way. But um, yeah, I've had a lot of fun with it. And I still do the mantras like Every time I do a show, I go through all the mantras. I call in the guides and clear out the limiting things. And uh, my daughter will, <laughs> she doesn't know the whole mantra, but she'll just go around saying, ah, uh, it's such. <laughs> she, <laughs> it's super cute. I try to like teach her the end of it, but she just gets really focused on odd such. <laughs> but I try to do it even with my kids, just, you know, here or there. And um, my son like eats it up. You know, he's so good at like, he like immediately went into uh, meditation mode. And uh, I'm sure that that's probably a pass off thing, but that's awesome. But I just love that it's becoming more of a thing. And it, you know, like more people have heard of that, Mm -hmm. of it. And like, I couldn't believe it when I was like seeing that other people were finally teaching it. I know it's good. I feel like it's really growing. Um, You know, we, our last, uh, we had our morning Kundalini class last week at Renegade Yoga Center. um, And we had, our biggest attendance um, that we've had so far okay. last week, uh, 7.30 in the morning, which was, I mean, we had, I think, eight people came out, mm-hmm. uh, which is great for that time in the morning. Um, and I really feel like it's starting to catch on. Um, you know, it, it does seem, it seems intimidating. Like you said, it's more advanced. I mean, we're doing pranayama. Mm-hmm. We're doing meditation, asana, kriya. You know, we're mi- mixing everything together. And there's lecture. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, we're learning about, you know, astrology or the 10 bodies, uh, the chakras. Um, so it's, it's like taking all the eight limbs, you know, that you can and trying to put it all into one. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is a lot for some people. And, you know, some people might come try the class and they're like, whoa, that was a bit much. And, you know, and maybe that's just not for them right now. Um, But I think once you kind of experience it, then you know, okay, this is different. Um, Mm -hmm. And really, Kundalini yoga is supposed to be for the householder yogi. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, most yogis, uh, for a long time, we're like renunciants, ascetics, you know, and um, the householder yogi, I feel like is what's becoming more popular, um, of course, now. And I feel like kundalini yoga is a big part of like, okay, yes, you can do your YouTube video at home, right? Um, but you're not going to get a big transformation, you know, if you're not kind of incorporating these other deeper aspects. Right. Um and so, the community that comes with it. And the community, yes. Because, you know, I've actually had people reach out to me about, uh, you know, I feel like I feel like I'm having this kundalini awakening and I don't know what to do. And like it can feel like when you start really transforming, things can start moving fast. Like you mm-hmm. said, it's like the jet plane going up. Yeah. Um, it can move really fast. And if you're not someone that's uh, already just very, uh, very into like, transformation and right. alchemy and that type of stuff it can feel a little unnerving um right. or a little scary even and so it 
I think that's why it's so important to have that community because it's like we're all on this journey and yeah we've been there and yeah sometimes it might feel like our heart chakra is a little stuck or like our it's not rising or you know something's going on and that's okay it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with you um it's just it's all a practice it's all a journey um so I think the the community is a really big part of it too right and just having someone to guide you so if you are having like some kind of side effect after a meditation you can be like well that might be because the energy is opened or maybe you should eat drink this tea yes because that can help settle this um so yeah my teacher I mean I guess he kind of became a guru to me because like he really was just sort of holding my hand through this awakening process and and guiding me and all of that so and there's just so many things like the all the points on the hands Mm -hmm. and so it's like acupressure kind of comes in and there's so many different schools of thought in kundalini yoga um could you explain a little bit about like why they wear white and what the turban is doing and why they wear the turbans so um i'm sure as anyone would probably see i don't wear white all the time right i Mm -hmm. practice kundalini yoga but i'm not constantly wearing a turban Um, but when i do teach i wear i wear all white um i don't cover my head but the reason is that it's really for our aura and for projecting out the aura. Um, and if we think about color associations, you know, black is absorbing. It's taking in and we think of going inside and white is very expansive. Um, so wearing white is just to help expand the aura, expand the auric field, um, especially for the teacher so mm-hmm. that I can expand out, you know, that energy that we're, we're cultivating. Um and of course, it just feel. I mean, when I started kind of wearing white, even in my home practice, I could feel a difference um, in my practice. Mm-hmm. It just, it just gave. And uh, maybe that's just a mind thing, you know? Who knows? But it, it like placebo is still yes, happening. <laughs> it's still, it's still valid because it still gave me that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, now with the head covering, I have practiced that some, um, and that really is for containing. So right. from the crown of the head, we want the energy to rise. Um, and we want our aura to be magnetic and, you know, expansive, but we don't want that energy to escape through the crown. Um, so covering the head is, um, that's the practice for that. Um, and I have noticed a difference when I do wear a head covering, um, of really feeling more contained. Right. Um, now I don't wear it all the time. Um, but even I, I feel like, Tying the hair up in a knot on top of the head um, is also very beneficial. Um, And really, when I do yoga with my hair down, um, it is a different feeling. And sometimes I like that. Um, But a lot of times I need it up and I need it tied up um, just because it just gives me a different energetic feel. Yeah, I can remember my teacher talking about coiling it on the crown. Mm -hmm. So you coil it on the crown, then you put the turban on. Mm -hmm. And he would talk about that the turban, there's also acupressure points on the head. And yes. so where the turban is touching, it's also activating yes. different things. So I used to like wearing the turban. And I really would feel like like mentally I would be more open um, to receiving. And it actually felt comfortable for me. So I don't wear a turban a lot now, but I wear a hat all the time. Like if I leave my house, I'll wear a hat. Mm-hmm. And I started noticing that when I went out without a hat on, that I would get incredibly overwhelmed by my environment. So I started wearing the hat. I started thinking about it. I'm like, we've got people wearing turbans. We've got the Jewish people that wear the, I can't think of the name. I don't remember what it's called. They're covering that space, um, kind of containing it. But I noticed that if I just wear a hat, it doesn't have to be, 
it doesn't matter what you're wearing. It's just like something about covering the head helps me ground yeah. and not take on other people's energies. Um, and I'll even spray it like my uh, therapist has psychic protection and I'll mm-hmm. spray my hat and put it on. And this might be totally placebo, but I've been able to go to like concerts and things like that. And my friends that aren't doing it, you know, they're like, oh, I have to go outside. I'm having a panic attack. And I'm like, you know, I can feel like that it's overwhelming, but I feel good. And I, it might be totally in my mind, but I'm like, I think it's because my energy is kept in, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not just blasting other people and they're not blasting me. Yeah. So it's so interesting. I was reading, too, the other day, um, the monks um, were actually shaved that area because they want the energy to come in. So it's like kind of the opposite of blocking it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that when they were praying, they would, you know, nothing would be in the way. Yeah. And they would get like direct um, guidance from God or whatever, which is an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. I know. I, I kind of see both right. sides, you know? Like there could be benefit to covering and then allowing it to be open. Mm-hmm. But also I kind of think of like, okay, if I am a householder yogi, mm-hmm. do I need to be more protective? Whereas a monk lives right. in a monastery and, you know. Maybe, they're already protected and yes. they're living in a, you know, <laughs> yeah, a sacred a space. Bubble, kind of. Right. Um, Where we're having to go out into the world. Yeah. And so it's. You know, any protection we have might be beneficial for not picking up on the unwanted psychic energies of every, you know, all the, there's a lot of depressed people. There's a lot of like traumatized people. And if you're sensitive to energies, you're going to, you know, absorb that. And as a generator, my aura literally engulfs people around me. And so like, I have to be really careful. So I use that psychic protection spray Mm -hmm. uh, very mindfully because of like getting burnout from it. Um, too much air it feels like too much air like it's too mental like I start like hearing the thoughts of all these other people I'm like wow the world's a really busy fast moving place so and even thinking Ayurvedically like that's high vata right. so what do we want to do with vata cover you know oh. warm nurture so wrap. the head covering would keep you warm naturally yeah Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I love how it all interconnects. Yeah. Like you were saying something earlier and I just heard my teacher was like, press the mercury mound. And I was like, I wonder if that activates Vata. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I just never understood what that connection he was making with it was. Yeah. But it does like trigger like that mental activity, mm-hmm. which mercury would. Um, so yeah, it's really cool that like astrology and all that can be incorporated into it. All right. So let's change it up a little bit. Um, and talk a little bit about Waldorf education. Um, can you share a little bit of info about Guiding Lights, uh, the co-op that you teach at, and what really drew you to the Waldorf education style? Yeah, so um, I am a teacher at Guiding Lights uh, co-op. It's a hybrid homeschool. Um, so we're taking a, a year off right now and rebuilding and uh, we've got some very exciting developments in the wing that we're we're all really really excited to work for, um, but my whole draw towards this um, homeschooling journey and Waldorf in particular um, is really kind of like what we've been talking about, really embodying, you know, and doing so through education because mm-hmm. our children are. Um, you know, when we're handing them workbooks and, you know, they're seeing these abstract forms of these letters and numbers. And, um, it's so abstract for them that we're forcing them into these boxes of things that they aren't quite ready for yet. Um, and it's, 
you know, especially in our culture right now where, I mean, in kindergarten, I was taking naps and drawing on aluminum foil with markers. Like that's not what kindergarten is anymore. Oh yeah. Um, and I noticed with my first son, I had him in a private school, um, to begin a, you know, five day a week private school. Um, he was not, uh, doing too well about second grade and, I was, you know, kind of going into a conversation with a teacher and it was kind of turning into like, he's not disruptive, but when I'm teaching, he's like flying airplanes with his pencil and he's in a war and he's Mm -hmm. in his own mind and, um, you know, kind of hinting towards the ADD type of stuff. And have you ever taken him to a doctor? And that's when I kind of started realizing this isn't going to work for him. Right. I'm not going to stifle his creativity and what what they call in the I guess in the education world being gifted Mm -hmm. um, which we know (laughs) lots of people I'm sure of your listeners were probably gifted as (laughs) as children and and then you know uh turned out oh we're all neurodivergent and (laughs) um and it's a superpower right Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you know when we're in this box of how we think education should be um it's really set up for the kids that can take tests well. Right. Um, and thankfully, I was someone that could take tests well when I was little. Um, so I did okay in school, mm-hmm. but I, I was always struggling. It was always harder for me than some of my friends. So I was making the good grades, but it was really hard for me. Um, and then when I stumbled across Waldorf Education, um, really through teaching at Guiding Lights. So I had, I got my teaching degree, I got my job at Guiding Lights, and um, the director's like, you know, I think we really need to take a Waldorf approach because this is like a brand new thing. And I'm like, oh, yes, I've, I've dabbled in Waldorf before. I've heard of it. I've always been, I love like all the colors and the, yeah, the, uh, fairies. the little gnomes. And, you know, it's just so etheric. And right. um, I was like, yes, that sounds awesome. So then I go and I like buy Steiner's like lectures and Mm -hmm. reading all the books and my mind's just like, oh my gosh, you know, just light bulbs and all these uh, really deep revelations about education and um, meeting the child where they are developmentally and really seeing like how we're pushing right now way too early Mm -hmm. and how we need to ratchet that back and and really take a child-centered approach to education not we need you to fit in this box and be a cog in the wheel no we need you to invent new wheels (laughs) we need you to invent some new things um and how are you ever going to do that if we're always putting people in a box and you know if you're not passing the tests and you're not you know meeting the grade and waldorf is so not like that (laughs) right there's like room for all the other these different temperaments so you know we have public schools set up for the sanguine type which Mm -hmm. they perform great they're very uh, pleasurable to be around. They're happy. They absorb information. They regurgitate it very well. Those children do great in public school. Yeah. But what about the kids like me who are full of melancholy? Okay. But Steiner sees that. He sees yes. that these different temperaments change the way that we absorb information. Yeah. And so I needed more art. I grew up to be an artist. Yes. And these people were gaslighting me, telling me that that's, you know, that yes. I needed to do these other things. And I'm like, no, no, I need to be writing poetry. I need to be reading the books that I'm drawn to, you know. Yes. Um, so I feel like that one of the big things that jumped out immediately was the temperament types and how there's actually the teacher is educated to recognize the different temperaments and say, okay, this child learns differently. So 
you know, what I do with this child might be different than what I do with the yes. other child. And so how beautiful is that? But with the public school, I feel like they, they don't even have time for that. Like they're no. just overwhelmed. There is a syllabus. They have to do this. Like there's, it's all about the testing and. And they, I mean, I can see where they are trying to incorporate a bit more in public schools. Like mm-hmm. I said, with like project-based learning. And then also, I mean, they have a lot more now with like RTI groups. So, um, you know, if a child's falling behind, then they get put in a group to really try to get specialized attention. But even that there's so limited time in the school day that it's like, we have so many students that we're trying to push through Mm -hmm. this program. And, and even those programs are not made to fit every child, you know, it's the teachers can only do so much and it's a burden system. And I, I understand why it's not, um, where the optimal optimal level we think it should be yet um but what we can do as you know conscious aware parents is say okay if i've got the ability to homeschool or use a hybrid homeschool like guiding lights um it's kind of that middle ground right so like guiding lights we do three days a week uh, three to four days a week at school um, and then the other days at home. So it's where we're kind of given that middle ground of you're getting to come to a school. You have teachers who are uh, Waldorf inspired teachers who are wanting this type of education as well. Uh, and everybody works as a group. It's more it's a co-op, um, but not so much where like the parents are teaching. So I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of what we have in this area are co-ops where parents and and are coming together and right. teaching each other's kids and and that's great um but we don't have many drop-off co-ops especially ones that are not strictly christian right um, or ones that are waldorf because there's there are no waldorf schools here <laughs> um yeah. and we're not you know we're not saying we're like completely waldorf right we're waldorf-ish or waldorf inspired um because you know it is really needing to look at Where's the child developmentally? What is their temperament? Mm -hmm. I like to even look, you know, me as a teacher, I pull my uh, students' charts and I look at what are their big three at least, um, knowing their astrology and and kind of I can even like make groups, you know, based on um, things that I see of that nature as well. Um, And it's, it's just so much more freedom to really use the child as the curriculum. And right. not try to force curriculum on the child. Right. It's like a holistic approach to education. Yes. And it's honoring, you know, their mental, physical, spiritual, emotion. All the bodies. All the bodies. It's bringing it all in. And it's like, what does this child need at this moment in their development? And a lot of times it is similar. You know, like at seven, they hit a different way. You know, yes. and so now we're going to bring in new ideas. But, you know, it's it's so interesting. Like, I feel like it slows everything way down. Like, that... You know, not like pushing reading till the last baby tooth. Like you can, you know, you could let them play around with it. But like if you don't force it, then they're going to hit that stage. They're going to lose that last baby tooth and they're just going to start reading. Yes. You know, so if you can just make it fun and get them to start enjoying, you know, learning. Yeah. Then they're going to hit that age and it's just going to, they're going to take off. And then reading's just going to be so great. But if I think so many kids, especially now they're trying to teach the alphabet in preschool, you know, like yeah. all, they're forcing letters and numbers really young, like before three. And I feel like they're yeah. like, go ahead and start looking at this. But like they're burnt out. Yes. By the time they're seven. Yes. And they're like, you know, I don't even want to learn how to read anymore. I don't like school. Yeah. Right. Right. Because um, they don't enjoy learning. And that's where I feel like Waldorf is a lot different because it teaches you 
to enjoy it. Yes. And it also, you know, there's all this nature. So all the, the will of the year is going to come in, the seasons, you know, so they're going to be like tuned in to the cycle that they're in. Yes. And they're going to hear these, like the myths, the stories that our ancestors told. And then now they're, they're connecting with their heritage. They're connecting to all these other cultures. Yes. And how beautiful is that? And in public school, they don't even start teaching history or anything until like middle school, high school. The kids don't care about stories at that point. You have yeah. to start including stories really young. Yes. And really that's like the basis of the early years yes. is stories, hands-on activities, nature, play, play imagination. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I notice a big difference with my son when he's playing with other kids that his imagination is so good. And these other kids are sort of like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> and it's like they've already like taught that out of them yeah but they're really great at reading yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) but they can't right but they can't imagine yeah and so I feel like that's a problem you know in a way because how are we ever going to create a new future if no one has imagination right so you know a while back I read that one of the main reasons that Steiner created Waldorf and you know he's a clairvoyant Mm -hmm. so he's able to see the auras he's able to you know uh connect to all the the bodies and see it and so he was noticing children that were not like they were their soul wasn't fully incarnating into their physical body because childhood is so harsh and traumatic that they weren't wanting to be here Mm -hmm. so their physical body was here but their soul was starting to detach so he you know this was like alarming to him yeah and he's like okay something's going on with the education and we have to change it and I think about myself as a child and just how dissociated I was. And, like, he probably would have saw something similar to me because I was yeah. just disoriented, detached. You know, I liked to learn, but I hated the way that they had organized the classes. It was really draining. I was exhausted. There was no color. Yeah. Um, my teachers, you know what I mean? They didn't have the greatest um, personalities. Mm-hmm. They weren't very loving. I mean, every now and then you would get a great teacher. Yes. I'm not, like, hating on all of them, but for the most part, I felt invisible. Like, they didn't see me. I wasn't connected to them on a personal level. And that is, like, the opposite of Waldorf, where the teacher and the child's, you know, connection is the utmost importance. Yeah. Because if they don't trust you, then they cannot learn from you. Yeah. If they don't love you and admire you, then what are you even doing? Like, so being a role model becomes so important. Yeah. As a teacher. And I love because you're such a just a beautiful, like happy, loving person <laughs> that you would be great for that job. Thank but, um, you. You know, how different would we all be if we had been met with that compassion, with that care yeah. and that concern, you know, to where we wanted to learn from that person. Yeah. Because we're like, wow, like she's beautiful and happy and healthy. Like, I want to be like that when I grow up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll tell you. Um, so we just finished, you know, this past school year and I taught the middle school group at Guiding Lights. Um And one of the most, like, rewarding things to me as a human being, like, in my whole walk of life almost, um, is that I had these kids that adored me um, as their teacher. And, you know, I'm I'm not, (laughs) I wouldn't say that I'm a very relaxed teacher. I still have that pitta in me, you know, (laughs) where I've got some structure and we're going to do some things. And, um, but I am, you know more open and we would Mm -hmm. talk about things that they were interested in. And, um, you know, I started teaching them, uh, we started doing a health and wellness class and I started teaching them about Wim Hof 
and we practiced Wim Hof breathing together. I started teaching them about cold showers Mm -hmm. um, because in middle school, you know, I'm sure you remember all the emotions. I mean, you are just an emotional being. Right. (laughs) You are straight emotions. And um, I was seeing these uh, young girls, you know, they were telling me and others that they harm themselves. Right. Um, you know, they're depressed. They don't know how to deal with these emotions. They don't know how to deal with these things. And they're having little spats with their friends and that's making them very upset. And, um, one little girl, uh, and I, they all felt comfortable enough to text me, uh, which, um, you know, I understand that that's like very big no, no in public school. Right. Um, but you know, this is so different, right? You're their mentor. Yes. And, um, and they knew that they can't expect me to respond all the time. And, right. um, I'd already set the precedent with them. Um, but they knew if they needed to tell me something that they could. Right. And she sent me a text one night. It was pretty late about probably about 11 PM and said, uh, Miss Amanda, I just want you to know that, um, I was feeling really bad earlier and I really wanted to harm myself. And then I remembered what you said about the cold water and I got in the shower and I turned it to cold and I actually felt something again and I decided not to harm myself. And you have been really, uh, really influential for me. And, um, that was like, I mean, I just bawled, (laughs) I just bawled, um, (laughs) because it's like, that's why I wanted to be a teacher. This is exactly why, because I was that little girl who was hurting so badly but I wanted to perform and right. I did not want you to know how bad it was for me. Right. But the teachers that could see me, they made a big difference. And I knew one day I needed to give that myself because I, I have went through this, you know, this very traumatic childhood. I went through um, lots of trauma so that I can be that lotus flower coming out of the muck, coming out of the, right. you know, out of the filth and showing what can come from some of the most afflicted people, you know. Right. And how beautiful that you can have that freedom to share some of these ways like of regulating the nervous system. And that's like the whole holistic approach. They can't do that in school. And yeah. like, yeah, there's a guidance counselor, but nothing was more awkward to me as a child than trying to talk to my guidance yeah. counselor. Like she, I didn't know her. You know, so it would have been better if it had been a teacher that at least I saw her every day yeah. than some random woman that, you know, works in the office that you might see in passing. You don't really know them. So it's like, are you really going to tell this stranger? Yeah. You know, all this, this stuff. Um, and do you really trust that they're going to be able to help you? Yeah. Because they can't really give you any information. They can just t- call your parents and be like, this kid needs therapy. And then other kids are like, oh, why is she going to the guidance counselor's office? You right. know, it's, um, but when you make your culture in your classroom of, you know what, we all have these issues. People are dealing with depression right. and anxiety and it's okay and it's normal and we need to talk about it together. Then it like starts getting rid of that stigma and yeah. they, they do feel like, okay, that's someone I can talk to. Um, I even had children that would come to me and say, you know, I feel like I need therapy, but I don't know how to tell my parents. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you think I should say? And I would, you know, of course, I would then let their parents know. Right. Um, but I would tell them, like, I, I'm going to tell your, you know, mom or dad that you've told me this. Um, but here's what I would say, you know, just to what you feel and kind of help coach them through that. But then, you know, also letting their parents know so they right. know that, you know, it's a safe place. But the parents also know this is not like a place where 
my kids are going to come and dump stuff. Right. And, you know, like we're not going to be, it's a, it's really a co-op. It is a. Right. You're guiding them, yes. but you're not trying to be their therapist. It's more is, it's more of like the guidance counselor on top of your teacher role. Yes. Yep. And so. I feel like Waldorf teachers, like in real Waldorf schools, mm-hmm. you know, they follow the students throughout their school. I mean, you right. start with them in kindergarten and you teach them every right. grade. I mean, that, when I read that, that blew my mind. I was like. So you have to learn how to teach every grade. That's amazing. Right. That is awesome to me because um, I even kind of felt in my teacher training, like, am I going to be stuck in like third grade? You know, like, right. am I always going to teach third graders? Like, I would really like to teach middle school, but that requires another certification, right. different schooling. I would like high school, maybe that also requires some different certifications. And I understand why we have these right. systems in place, um, but also... If we look at the homeschooling community, there are, there are students going all the way through kindergarten through 12th grade, and they are just fine, and they function completely well. Uh, there's lots of celebrities who went through Waldorf schools, yeah. like Jennifer Aniston being one of them. Um, the guy from Tool. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, we can say this is so different from the model that we know in the mainstream, mm-hmm. but it's working. And right. it's actually, in my opinion way better <laughs> um for those who who can do it i understand that not everyone can do it but um but that's why we've we really want to offer this type of education through guiding lights um because of it being kind of like that middle ground between mm-hmm. school and homeschool um right. and really building that rapport with the parents as well right. so they can be more confident in their ability to teach too yes and then also look into some of these approaches with their child yeah so it's really kind of beautiful in that way. Um, there was a girl that came to our Life is Guru program. And I always kind of approached that as adult Waldorf. Mm-hmm. You know, I brought yes. in like the watercolor. <laughs> I know you went to a couple. We would talk about spiritual stuff, move the body. You mm-hmm. know, it, we tried to incorporate. It, it was really beautiful. I wish it would have um, worked better. But um, it was great for the people that came. But there was a girl there, and she went to Waldorf school for a couple of years in sort of the middle part of her life. Like, So I guess middle school kind of going into high school when they started making their own te- textbooks. Mm. And then her parents separated, and she stopped. But she was, like, explaining how life-changing just those few years were. And she kept the book. She showed them to me. And it was all these beautiful geometrical forms she had made and – um, I mean, it was so meaningful to her mm-hmm. that she saved it. And you know what I mean? And when we were teaching Life as a Guru, she was like, this reminds me of Waldorf. Yeah. And I'm like, well, <laughs> there's a reason for that. <laughs> but, you know, even just that little bit of time she spent, it was like, it, like she took off. And even mm-hmm. when she went back to public school, she still had this foundation yeah. of like loving to learn and like viewing learning through a different lens. Yes. Um, and, you know, even into her adulthood now, she's still, like, approaches learning from that perspective. How cool is that? So yeah. I hadn't actually met a person in real time that had went to Waldo School. So that was really, like, a beautiful experience for me, you know, as I'm, like, teaching my children from this approach. That mm-hmm. even though sometimes there might be, like, resistance or, you know, whatever, that it is over time worth it. It's worth all the effort that it takes. Yeah. Um. And I just, I don't know. It's really beautiful to watch my children get to just be children and to develop at their own pace. Like, how beautiful is that? To not force them into this evolution that they're not even ready for on a soul level. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really love it. And I really love that you guys are offering this because I remember going back and I was like, I want to start a Waldorf school, but <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't know a single person that knew who Rudolf Steiner was. I didn't know, not one besides my English professor who introduced me to him. And she gave me, um, your, how to be your child's first teacher. I, I, something about your child's first teacher. Um, when I was pregnant with my son and I'd already kind of like started dabbling in Steiner's work, but that was a totally different approach. Yes. I was like, oh, this is through like parenting. And it was like through all the stages, even the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started incorporating it. And um, I also got a book, The Incarnating Child, that I read during my pregnancy and stuff. And so my, both of my children have had this, you know, wisdom um, coming from me, like since they were in the womb. And so how cool is that? Like, we'll see how that plays out <laughs> in the future. Um, but it felt like an honor yeah. You know, to get to learn this just in time to get to incorporate it um, for this next generation. Yeah. Who I know is going to make huge ripples <laughs> in our culture. Yeah. Um, so let's just take a moment to explore a little bit about who Ru- Rudolf Steiner is um, and what's some of his work that's inspired you. So really, uh, my whole dive into Steiner has been through Waldorf schools um, mm-hmm. or Waldorf education. Um, and then I started dabbling a little bit in anthroposophy um, and just reading a bit about that and, and what it is. Um, but it's I've mainly stayed within the realm of uh, Waldorf education. I've, I've recently joined some Facebook groups. Uh, so I'm like kind of seeing like people posting some of his other mm-hmm. um, things, you know, where I'm kind of diving a little bit more into like esoteric Christianity yes. uh, topics as well. And so I'm really starting to... Uh, read more about that um but i just loved his whole approach towards education Mm -hmm. um and making that spiritual right um and seeing the child as you know this spiritual being that um you know we're granted this opportunity to foster you know what it is to live in this this life this matrix um and really taking that as a holistic approach um, because I feel like he was channeling something so big that it, yes, it started, it was great in his time, what he did. Mm -hmm. um, But I feel like it was needed so much now. For the future. Yes. He was channeling wisdom for the future. Yes. And he gave us a lot of heads up. He did all that stuff on the bees. He was like, you're going to have to start yes. honoring the bees. And the, like, that it the starts biodynamic happening. farming. Yes. 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 Especially with the farming because we've depleted the soil. But back then people were like, what are you talking about depleting the soil? Yes. Um, but it's like, I think that's where the clairvoyance comes in is he was able to kind of see into the future. And yes, there might be many different realities that, that can come to pass. But he was like, these are big things that mm-hmm. you guys are going to have to focus on. And you're either going to start doing it now or in the future, you're going to almost have to do it because now you're going to have to, you know, heal the earth because like your food's not going to grow. Yeah. You're not going to get nutrients from the food anymore. Um, and how do bees play into that, right? He has a whole book just on bees. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he really covers every topic. I've been studying Shiner for over a decade now, and I still feel like a complete newbie. Um <laughs> And I'm just like, wow, this is totally different. And I, I find it takes time just for just a small little paragraph to fully sink in. Yes. Like, I'll come back, like, years later and be like, oh, he did write something on that. And uh, I don't know. It's like the there's such a 
power to his words. It's like just vibrationally even like like a word that means nothing to you in that moment. Like 10 years later, you're like, I've heard this word, you know, and I'm just now really understanding why why this word is so important. And yeah. it's like a vibration, you know, that is in his work. And um, a lot of people can't ground it, I think, because it's so yes, deep. Yes, it is very, I mean, it. His <laughs> educational lectures, even yeah. just on that, um, like it's a small book, but it took me a while because I needed to read it mm-hmm. and kind of chew on some things, yeah. go back and read some more. And then, you know, you have so many texts that are um, interpreting his work. Right. So then and those help, I yes. think, if you can't understand the kind of language he's using. And I mean, it's all being interpreted from German anyway so there is like that language barrier naturally yeah and I feel like that that also has helped me a lot to kind of dig in a little bit more um you know what he's saying and um because it is so it is so heavy um and it's it's just very deep um and I love that they've got all of these diagrams now that outline like what the children should be learning at certain ages but Mm -hmm. that it's not a set in stone, right. like you choose the stories you tell. So like right. my son, uh, my youngest is going to be a second grader this year. And he's, you know, the second grade year is fables, um, saints. Uh, and those are the two big, you know, more literature based mm-hmm. uh, topics. And so for me, I'm thinking, okay, I want to bring in some Appalachian fables. Right. Um, I want to bring in, you know, some, we're not just going to do saints. Like we're also going to talk about uh, culture changers, so like Martin Luther King. Right. Um, you know, bringing in, and that's what they want you to do in Waldorf education. Right. There is no set curriculum. Right. It's, gui- <laughs> it's guiding yes. you it's, so that you can say, okay, around this time, you can start bringing in more fables. Yes. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of Steiner's work is like that. Yeah. It's like you get these nuggets of this wisdom to then take and mold into what is needed in your time and in right. in your space and in your sphere, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like it's so um, broad, but yet so uh, structured as well that you have a basis for Okay, these are like the underlying things that the consciousness needs. You know, like right. the child at the second grade year has that seven-year-old changing of teeth. You know, there mm-hmm. are those things collectively going on for children at that age. But where you live is so important because you want your fables from your culture. Right. Um, and this is so funny. It actually kind of ties into Ayurveda. Um, one of the first things I read in Katie Silcox's book, uh, Healthy, Happy, Sexy, is... She was studying in India, you know, trying to learn all about Ayurveda and Tantra. And uh, her teacher says, Ayurveda is not about you eating Indian food. It's about you eating the food of your ancestors. Like right. your, your food. region. Like, yes, kitchery is a great, easily digestible thing that we can use during a cleanse. But hey, let's look at our heritage recipes that we have, that our bodies have been acclimated to, you know, and how can we bring in our stories, our healing modalities, um, and really, um, I think, especially in this area, preserve Appalachian culture, right? um, because it's been looked at for so long as, you know, people who are backwoods and hillbillies moonshiners yes uh (laughs) and you know there's so much more here 
that we need to really, and people are, I see so many more people now around our age, especially really claiming Appalachia, you know, and I I love that. Um, So that's, that's another thing I think is so brilliant about Steiner's like, you know, he was channeling this thing that is so big for everyone. And then you can take it and get your interpretation out of that and really, really make it fit for your life and your walk and where you live. Right. That's beautiful. I, I love him so, like so much. I was, as soon as I read the first, I, the first book I think was Philosophy of Freedom. Um, and I was so drawn to it. And I realized like years and years later that he was uh, reading the Akashic Records, which is what I do. <laughs> and I was like, I was told later that I'm considered of the field, which means I've always had the records with me. And I think that something about Steiner, when I would read, and Rumi's the same way. I think Rumi was um, writing from the records, straight from the records. Um, and it was like, it felt like home. It felt like, like, it's true. And I don't know what how else to say it. It's just like, this is true. I don't know why it's true. But it is. It just, it just it lit me up. And then, you know, years later, when I'm told that I'm of the field, and that's what the field he's reading from, I'm like, no wonder <laughs> that it was like instant, you know, instant love. Um, and I've evolved as a person by studying his work, you yeah. know. And um, so he would consider himself, you know, um, like more a mystical Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, he definitely believed in the Christ um, awakening kind of within us and things like that. So um, what do you feel the main difference is between viewing Christianity through an exoteric lens versus an esoteric lens? So for me, this is actually probably going to be a lot different than even some people who are uh, claimed to be esoteric Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, So really what I've been diving into myself um, is what Bible scholars know about the Bible that is not preached about. Um, To me, the exoteric Christianity is that cookie cutter uh, prosperity gospel that we're all used to hearing of, you know, you need to tithe and, um, you know, heaven versus hell and, Mm -hmm. you know, all those things that we're so familiar with here in the Bible Belt. Um, But to me, the esoteric Christianity, um, there are the layers of like Christ consciousness and all of that, but I'm even being a little more surface level of like, what does the Bible actually say that we are not looking at? It clearly says there were other gods <laughs> it clearly says that Yahweh put other gods in control of the nations um, this is very biblical mm-hmm. astrology is huge in the Bible right. huge um, and we cannot deny it you know Daniel was a chief astrologer and chief of the magi um, but he also did not bow down to you know he had his God right. that he did not bow down to um, so really looking at these things that are plainly in sight, but just people who aren't familiar with how to translate the Aramaic, um, people who who are scared to read like a uh, book of Enoch, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, these texts that are outside of the Bible, um, that really ancient Hebrew people read, they right. knew these things. It was part of their, it was part of what Jesus knew. Um, you know, that, all of that, I really feel has been hidden and locked up 
and only academia. So Bible scholars are talking about this stuff, but you go to a church and you do not hear it for the Mm -hmm. most part. Now, there are some churches starting to talk about these things, and that's great, um, but it's not mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've really been digging into Dr. Michael Heiser, uh, Timothy Alberino. Um, If anyone listens to like the Blurry Creatures podcast, um, they have some guest speakers on there that kind of touch on these things as well, where it's really talking about all of these things that are right there in front of our face of, you know, the Elohim, the Mm -hmm. Nephilim, um, Mount Hermon, like all of these things are there in the Bible. And we just gloss over all that. Like, oh no, let's just look at being the Proverbs 31 woman. Right. Oh, let's just look at, you know, these certain things. And, oh, that, that seems a little pagan sounding. I don't really want to touch those scriptures and I don't really understand those. So I stay clear of them. No, let's actually dig into what is the Bible saying. Um, and of course these other texts, like I said, Enoch and, and some others that kind of shed light on more of these stories. Um, there's so many, so many resources now at our fingertips to, Mm -hmm. to know these things and to learn about these things, but people are scared of it, um, because they're just so stuck in their dogma and stuck in this, you know, if it's not fitting my, my box and that feels like it's Satan. Oh gosh, that's, that's the enemy. Well, it's actually in the word. It's in the word. So if you want to verify everything through the word, then please do that and read, (laughs) read and research and understand the, you know, that translations uh, sometimes need to be updated. And, you know, we have Bible scholars that are doing this. They're, they're digging into the Aramaic and they're digging into these original translations and seeing, okay, where did we kind of get these words wrong? And let's look Mm -hmm. at the culture of the people at that time. And what, what are these stories really telling us? Um, And I've really been on fire lately for, uh, the biblical astrology and seeing the gospel in the the constellations, right? Um, the twelve disciples, the twelve signs. Yes, and even now, this is something that came to me a long time ago when I would totally renounce Christianity. Um, I had a a moment where I had this big revelation about God becoming man through the zodiac. And like seeing God taking on human form and then sacrificing and then going back into God, like this Mm -hmm. whole cycle came to me and I I wrote like pages. It just like something I just channeled all of a sudden. Um, And then, you know, I was kind of put that to bed for a while. And then now this stuff is starting to come up and I'm relating it. I'm like, okay, I can see like the whole wheel of the Zodiac and how the whole story unfolds throughout the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm really starting to try to dig a little bit more into that and learn more about that. Um, I haven't gotten too deep yet, um, but that's probably where my my innermost cave time is coming. And I'm going to, that's one of my subjects I'm kind of on the fringe of digging into a lot more. Yeah. I just had this epiphany as you were talking that maybe the disconnect with a lot of Christians with actually reading the Bible themselves is that they've been told that, you know, the, the apple, which is the tree of knowledge, is actually what was the downfall. Mm-hmm. And so there might be this, like, unconscious fear of knowledge. Um, or if you look at the school system, just not a desire to learn. Yeah. And so they might not even feel that they're capable of reading it on their own. And yeah. so they're going to rely completely on their pastor to do all that work for them. Yeah. And if that pastor is only going to, you know, 
focus on very, you know, like the same kind of passages that just reinforce what he's already trying to say. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's almost not their fault. I feel like there might be an unconscious fear of their own intelligence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, honestly, as someone who grew up, you know, trying to read the Bible, it was hard for me. It is. And it makes you start kind of questioning your own intelligence. (laughs) And it's really because it's from, it was written in a different time period. There's references to things that really don't make any sense. You're going to have to um, look up definitions. There's Mm -hmm. like some allegory going on. (laughs) Yeah. Some things are comparing this to that. It's a, this is a metaphor. So this is where, um, you know, when we're teaching our children how to read and we're teaching literature, it becomes a really key component to their future spiritual health because they won't be able to interpret any of these texts on their own if they don't understand how to read and learn. Yeah. You know, written word. Yeah. So I feel like there is a disconnect in that. And maybe even collectively, because for so many centuries, it wasn't allowed. Yeah. We weren't allowed to read it. And so I even think like maybe in a past life, you know, they still have this fear from something else where they weren't allowed. And like, they're like, no, it has to be interpreted for me. I couldn't possibly interpret God's messages myself. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like there's a lot more going into it than just they don't want to see it. But like, there's probably some fear. There's probably some veils between them, you know, but I think the whole point in, you know, Jesus is like this direct communication now that we have with the divine. And so, you know, even if you're not reading it, I think you can still get like almost like channel messages just yes. by tuning into the master Jesus, right? Because he has that wisdom. Um, and I feel like all the time, like I hear, you know, Jesus's voice in the back of my head telling me <laughs> like these random quotes and things like that. So I feel like it does come through. Like we have our own um, intuitive wisdom yeah. that comes through. But there's something really nice about being able to analyze the text. Yes. Yeah, um, I feel like the overarching overarching message of the gospel is easy to understand. Right. And that there's a truth there that collectively we are going to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the truth that's laid out in the stars. Right. Um, because, you know, that if we think about like language being a barrier, well, seeing the signs and wonders is not a barrier. Seeing right. symbols is not a barrier. So the gospel itself and the message of Jesus is very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. However, to become a disciple, to really follow his path, to really try to take this Christian walk, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to dig in a little more. Right. You're going to have to try to learn and understand, okay, what are all these texts telling me? Because you could take any verse from any book and right. use it for any. Thing that you wanted to, you know, you can quote whatever you want to give your point its back. Um, but to really kind of take these stories and look at the cultural aspects that they were touching on and you get so much, so much more revelation from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and such a deeper walk and such a, a deeper understanding. Um, you know, for me as a Christian, you know, I feel so very called to, talk to people who are not Christians right? <laughs> um, because I feel like I have seen the beauty in a lot of different things. And um, I see these bigger overarching messages that really need to come out. Um, and, you know, if people are always stuck in these dogmatic ways of communicating mm-hmm. and talking about those things, 
how are we ever going to share, you know, this beautiful thing of we're both trying to work towards bringing about a better world. We both, we all want heaven on earth. We all want something great for our kids, or I would hope so. (laughs) You know, I mean, most people that I talk to, we all have a similar goal. We want to love each other. We want to love, you know, ourselves. We want to love God. And I mean, that's, that's what Jesus told us to do. Love God, love others, love yourself. I mean, that's, that's what we need to do. Um, But we get so caught up in like, oh, this person it's different, you know, does Kundalini yoga or this person does this. And that seems this way to me, or even, you know, on the other spectrum, that person's a Christian, they're probably really shut off. Well, that's not always the case. Um, and you know, I feel like it's, I'm really feeling very called to, um, just opening this conversation with everyone, you know, that would want to talk to me about it. Um, because I feel like it's so needed, especially for us to move to forward as a collective consciousness right is how can we work together and stop seeing it as you know division divided right. we you know we're falling um but together we can stand and we can move forward in um and really bringing about what's needed and that truly in the gospel is bringing heaven on earth right now it is now the kingdom is now it's right. not a fire insurance to one day go to some pearly gates and you know oh i will be saved one day no it's heaven is now and right. what are you doing now to bring that about for everyone in your life right are you making this experience heaven or hell yeah and when you're rejecting and in this rebelling against the other you're creating division yeah. Dude, I feel like I'm hearing so many Pink Floyd lyrics in my head as we're talking. <laughs> You're creating all this division, this us and them. And yeah. at that point, you have to you have to dial it back. If you start seeing others as them, yes, then we have a problem. Yep. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, an esoteric spiritualist or what, you know, uh, or a Gnostic or what, whoever yep. you are. If you start saying, oh, well, they're the others and we are the elite. Yep. And that's where I think the problem is, is because... It's like, no, we're one. We are one collective. We have different experiences. We have different stories. We have different cultures. We have different beliefs. Because God shows up in all this beautiful variety. Yeah. He never takes the same form twice. Yeah. And there's wisdom in every single human being, every single book. You know, you can open up any random book and find a sentence that's enlightening. If you're open to it. If you're open to it. Yeah. And so... It's like unnecessary, you know, to separate ourselves. And I think that's why I can't call myself in anything. It's because as soon as I identify with one, I become separate from the other. And I'm not saying that people right. shouldn't. I'm really not. I'm saying as Aquarius rising <laughs> that I've ha- I have a hard time because it feels instantly like I'm dividing myself yeah. from others. So if I call myself, you know, an esotericist, am I, am I separating myself from the, the scientific community? Am I, am I no longer studying exoteric truths? Am right. I no longer looking at philosophy the same? You know, I can be all of it. I can be all of it and not even take on any of it as my identity. And as somebody that has sort of like, as I've shifted, like I even told you earlier, like when I started doing Kundalini Yoga, it kind of became a part of my mm-hmm. identity. And at that time I really needed it. It was giving me strength. It was giving me something to strive towards because I was broken and I didn't really have an identity. Um, My ego had been destroyed. Um, Helped me cultivate a healthy uh, personality, I think, and a healthy body and a healthy spirit. And then I sort of, I kind of didn't need it as much. Like the training wheels came off. Yeah, yeah. And then I just, you know, I would be in a really bad place and I would just start doing the, the, the Kriya that I had learned. 
in real time. Not because I had said at 4 o'clock a.m. or, you know, 4 a.m. I'm going to do my sadhana. And it's like, and I'm not saying that that's not beautiful. Some people really, like the rituals are very important for some people. (laughs) And they are for me, but I just find myself constantly evolving and my life is changing. And sometimes I can't do the practices. Yeah. The same way. And so I've allowed myself to evolve, but the practices are there because I have integrated them. Yeah. It's your and, toolkit. Right. And so when I'm going through, if I go through a traumatic experience, like I know this, this random wisdom will come up from my subconscious because I've stored it there. Yeah. So it's really cool. And I feel like if I had limited myself to just studying one path, then I, that's all I'm going to get. But I just love, I want to study all of it. I love all... Um, of these different beliefs and um, I really do see like how you do like these bridges mm-hmm. between this and that and you know and I'm like I think they're all kind of saying the same thing but they have such a beautifully diverse spin on it yeah you know and I like that it's yeah. like it keeps it fresh you know I like that in this religion the savior has blue skin let's talk about why he's blue <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about, you know, Jesus's uh, lineage a little bit. Let's talk about all these different ways of looking at everything. And um, I think that the more you like look, like focus in on something, you can see even more and more detail, Yeah. you know? So in this way, maybe studying one path is good because you're going to really digest it. And I appreciate those people. I appreciate the scientists that don't study anything else but science because guess what? They get to uh, do all this boring work (laughs) and I get to just read over their work and say, okay, that does validate this. Thank you. Um, So I think some of us are more called to really say, I want to just do this one thing. I want to just be a devout this Um, because you're going to help bring more awareness around that topic that someone like me can't necessarily do, but I might be able to help bridge a lot of it because I can be like, oh, that sounds a lot like, you know, this Asian myth I read last week. That's almost like exactly the same. Yeah. And they might not be able to see how it links in with other things. So it's like, you know, we think all the 12 signs, all the different perspectives, all the different personalities. And then when we come together in community. Yeah. What if our community could have diverse diversity, different religions coming together? And this person's saying, oh, yeah, well, this is how we see it. And we're saying, oh, well, that's how they see it. And that, I feel like, is Christ consciousness, is when we can all come together and say, you know, we can work together. We can see the connection, how yeah. this is all just one story. Yeah. And it's beautiful. That's why I love having people like you on the show that can see that, Um And it's just wonderful. I I feel like we really are headed in a good direction um, for all that. Yeah. So could you share a little bit about the women's circle that you've been inspired to create? What are some of the details on that? So this is really where um, my Ayurvedic coaching um, is kind of morphing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm still working with one-on-one clients, um, but I'm wanting to start a transformational journey uh, where really... It is more women focused because, you know, we're going to be talking about aligning cycles and, um, you know, lots of things that are feminine issues or Mm -hmm. feminine uh, medical types of things that um, are more for women. Um, And so really what I'm wanting to start creating is a group of women that we are going to go on a year-long journey. So we're going to go through the whole wheel of the year together, uh, celebrating the different, you know, turns of the wheel, and then the new moons, the full moons, um, having practices for those. And all of this is going to incorporate Ayurveda. So looking at the season that we're in, and how does all of that come together? 
um, and really working as a community. So we'll be doing, you know, like a fall cleanse, a spring cleanse, um, where we're all kind of working on these health goals together. But, you know, like if someone's experiencing a lot of high Vata and they're not ready for a cleanse, that's great. You know, we're, right. we're here to support and nourish in whatever way we can together as a group. Um, so I'm really feeling called to, to lead that and then also to incorporate um, a little bit of ecstatic dance into that as well. Um, I just had my first ecstatic dance experience I told you about um, mm-hmm. when we were talking before the show. And I really feel called to that as well. Um, so it's really kind of a uh, fringy, woo-woo, uh, <laughs> witchy-ish kind of Ayurvedic yogic mashup of this transformational journey that to me, what I like to call um, it, what I like to call my path is wild and wise. Mm -hmm. So um, I've got the wild and I've got the wisdom and I need, I need both um, to integrate and really find that middle path, that little fulcrum, you know, Mm -hmm. is I want that wild and the wise and we're really meeting at the end. Right. Um, And so we're kind of going to go on this journey together of, you know, learning about these topics that light us up and, um, Eventually, I would like to bring in like a book club aspect to it to where we're kind of studying texts together and digging into topics and bouncing ideas off of each other. So like you said, you know, someone might have a very strong background in Vedic studies and they could say, wow, that really sounds like, you know, something that I heard about Shiva or Vishnu. And, um, you know, we can kind of bring those things in and talk about them from all these different aspects. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. That sounds wonderful. Um, so what's the best way for our listeners to book a coaching session with you or sign up for one of your yoga classes or, um, get more information about the women's circle? So, uh, I'm on Instagram at Lil the mama, um, and on Facebook, uh, as Amanda Lynch and just really messaging through either of my social media platforms, um, is my main point of contact. Okay. Um, and, I am taking, you know, whoever's interested in the women's circle. I'm trying to get a feel right now and trying to put together the group before I really start anything up because, like I said, I want it to be a year-long transformation, so we really wouldn't be starting until um, coming towards the end of the year Mm -hmm. and getting ready for the new year um, and kind of starting all together at one time. And this would be Um, in person. So we would do in, in-person meetings and some Zoom meetings as well Okay. Um, so that we can kind of do both, uh, meet up more often, um, kind of give that flexibility because I know a lot will probably be moms as well. Right. Um, so it will be uh, some in-person and then some virtual meetings. All right. Wonderful. So if you're in Knoxville, make sure to check that out. Yes. And then I teach yoga at Renegade Yoga Studio, at K-Town Yoga in Powell, and at Crossroads Fitness in Powell. Um, and you can sign up on the Mind Body app uh, for those. Uh, teach anything from Kundalini to Ariel, Vinyasa. And I'm about to start <laughs> a new class called Yoga Fusion at K Town. Uh, that's going to be a, it's actually going to be a mixture of Vinyasa and Kriya. Um, it's so it's a it's like a light intro to Kundalini. Okay. <laughs> it's a little Kundalini ish, but it's not straight Kundalini. I love all the things and the diversity and all the the wonderful things that you offer. It's very like Virgo because it's like the mutable (laughs) earth, but it's so grounded, but it's like, it takes so many forms. It's so cool to to watch you grow. Malleable. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to make this wonderful episode. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Yes. And thank you all for tuning in. Check us out next time on the Astral Hour. Mm